0: friends we are in week 3 of a sermon series called too good to be true and basically taking a deeper look at the bible why the bible is good but also why the bible is true and in week 1 philip torrious spoke about the word that creates that the word of god is the creating force in the universe and when we submit our lives under the authority of god's word we also see the creating force of god's word in our own lives but through our lives Last week we spoke about the scripture that is reliable, Um, so it was a bit more of a looking at some facts that tells us why the Bible is actually a reliable document in history, that we can read the Bible and actually have confidence in what we read. Um, And then tonight, Andre is going to take us into the word becoming flesh. So let's just stretch out our hands and let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word tonight. I thank you, Lord, that this word that Andre is preaching tonight is something that you have Stirred in his heart many, many weeks ago. Um, so we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you'll come and minister to us tonight. Open up our hearts, Lord, and we, we make a decision to bring our hearts and our minds to a space of hearing from the God of the universe tonight. We thank you that you've got a word for us, Lord, and we pray that you'll anoint Andre to, to communicate what is on your heart. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, my
1: OCD is kicking in a little bit. I just want to get it in the middle. Okay, nice. Thank you, Yaku. Um, I was just once again reminded that, uh, yeah, thank you for giving me the platform. Um, you don't have control of what I'm about to say, so you're trusting me that what I'm about to say is going to be good. <laughs> so thank you for that. Church, um, it's, it's, it's really nice to be with you again, seeing every, uh, well, a lot of you in person. And uh, yeah, the last time I was preaching, there was no one here, and I was just almost preaching to myself, so yeah, it's nice to have some friendly faces again. And yeah, just to the people that um, on the live stream as well, um, thank you for joining, and I really do hope that uh, we will see you in person very soon. So as uh, Yaku said, that I will be preaching tonight on uh, The Word Became Flesh, and This is a message that I can't even remember how many years ago I was praying to the Lord to give me understanding regarding certain of the aspects that I'll be sharing with you tonight. And it was, I think it was over probably a period of a month or two months that I was just praying and not necessarily receiving anything. And then one night I was just in my bedroom all alone, sitting on my bed. And uh, the only way that I can describe what happened is almost like you're you go into download mode, where all of a sudden you just start feeling things open up, and you all of a sudden starts things starts making sense. And uh, so that is the position from where I will be just sharing with you guys tonight. That it's something that's very dear to me, and I'm extremely excited to be able to share this with you. And I'm really trusting that the Holy Spirit will just, as, as I share, come and minister to myself, but also to us as a church. Uh, we are living in times where we are being tested in various forms and in various ways. And I can just really testify that the Lord remains faithful. And what I'll be sharing tonight will also just help us, also, to say that we we can have something solid that we can build our lives upon. So, as I said, tonight we're speaking about the word became flesh, and uh, I will start off by reading from John 1. And uh, the first time I read this piece of scripture, I, I did not know at all what this meant. And it was, this was one of the primary scriptures that I really asked the Lord to give me some revelation about. So I'm going to read um, the entire piece of scripture in one go, and then I'll just highlight certain aspects that, that stood out for me and that is so vastly important for me that we get to know about God. So it's John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. so this is quite a mouthful. And uh, the first time I read this, I was like, okay, but I, I grew up knowing that the Bible was the Word of God, and now all of a sudden I read about, it almost seems like you're reading like a different type of Word of God. And it, and it took me quite a while to start understanding just this concept of the Word of God. But the first thing that, that John Teaches us about the Word of God is that the Word of God already existed when He created. So that means that the Word of God is outside of creation. And should creation cease to exist, God will still exist, the Word of God will still exist. I think it's somewhere in the Psalms it says that God inhabits eternity. So he's eternal. So the word of God has existed forever and will continue to exist forever. And this word of God was with God. But not just was he with God, he was God. And everything that we see and can't see Was created by the Word of God. And nothing that came into existence came into existence except if He said it should come into existence. So everything exists because of the Word of God. And this Word of God is life. And this life as it says, is the light of mankind. And this light, it shines into the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it, or some translation says it can't comprehend it. So when God lights shine, it's not like darkness has a choice (laughs) whether to to Disappear or to be overcome or to not comprehend light. It just happens. Like when you put on a light, you don't have to wait for the darkness to go. It's just gone instantly. And this word of God also gives us the right to become children of God. And uh, We as children of God are not born by the will of man, even though it is man that participates in children being born. But each and every person is born by the will of God. And that puts a profound sense of purpose upon each one one of us. And then it says in verse 14, the word of God became flesh. So all of these characteristics mentioned now and which is mentioned in John 1, God being eternal, God being the creator, God being light and being life and being the one that overcomes darkness, being the one that was with God, being the one that is God. This word of God became flesh, so he literally became a human being. He became part of his creation. The God that created everything becomes part of his creation. And that, it blows my mind. And uh, sometimes I just feel like, but it's it's weird to understand how God can be be human at the same time. But that is what happened. He became a human being. And then when he became a human being, when he became flesh, it says that he was full of grace and truth. And that from his fullness, we as his creation receive grace upon grace. And we learn that this word of God is Jesus Christ. And the entire Bible, which we also know as the word of God, testifies about Jesus Christ, the word of God, from cover to cover, and the entire story revolves around him, and it is his story, he owns the story, and no one else will receive glory in this story except him. And Jesus Christ, the Word of God, he makes known to us the Father so that we can know the Father intimately. Now, as we read this piece of scripture, the the question that immediately came out to me is, but but why would this God, the God, the creator of everything, want to become a human being? It's almost like it doesn't make sense. Now, this supreme being wants to become something that is less supreme than himself. So he's... He's taking a step down. He's almost like a CEO that now all, all of a sudden wants to go back and be working at the ground level. It doesn't make sense. But that is what he did. He humbled himself and he became part of his creation. Why? Why did he become part of his creation? And to answer that question, I'm going to go to a piece of scripture that all of us would probably be able to recite from memory. And it says that it's John 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but may have eternal life. And that we clearly see that it's God, God the Father, gave us Jesus, which we know is the word of God, so that we as human beings should not perish, but not just not we shouldn't perish, but that we can have eternal life. So the primary reason why the word of God became flesh was that so that we as his creation can have eternal life. But then there's another question we can ask ourselves. Okay, but now we're speaking about eternal life. Okay, but what is eternal life? Does the Bible give us a definition of eternal life? And then we, I, I go to John 17 verse 3. And it says that, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So the eternal life that Jesus came to give us is the privilege of knowing the Father and knowing the Son. But it's not just knowing Him in an intellectual way or in a theological way, but it is knowing Him in an experiential way. Knowing Him in such a way that because we know Him, He influences every aspect of our lives and He decides how we live every aspect of our life. We know Him in such a matter, that, uh, in such a way, that because we know Him, the way that we look at the world around us is influenced. The lives that we want to live is influenced. The desires we have is influenced. We know Him in such a way that the lives that we live is completely dependent on what He wants for our life. And that is what God wants for our lives, is for us to be dependent on Him. And He will always arrange the circumstances in our lives in such a manner that we will become more and more dependent on Him. And that is not a truth that I always want to accept because... I don't want to always be dependent on God because being dependent on God means He decides what I do and don't do with my life. But the mere fact that Jesus came to give us eternal life then means that there's something intrinsically wrong with us as human beings that we do not already have eternal life. So there's something that is hindering us in knowing God in such a way that our entire life is influenced and dictated by Jesus and by the eternal life that we can have in Him. That is to know the Father and to know the Son. And yeah, I want to go to a piece of scripture in the book of Hebrews, which is probably my favorite book, just because it's the writer of Hebrews, she was very smart. (laughs) Anyhow, just a personal joke. Um, So I go from verse 14 to 18, and it says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So what this piece of scripture says is that It is our sins that needs to be remedied in us. It is our sins and our sinful nature that hinders us. And Jesus became just like us. He became flesh and blood. And in doing so, he experienced what we experience as human beings. He experienced all the highs and all the lows of the human existence. He experienced what it should be to be joyful, to be sad. He even experienced loss, and that most scholars agree that his father passed away while he was still alive. He experienced what it was like to be tempted, what it was like to be hungry. He experienced how it is to work hard as he was a carpenter by trade. So he came into the human existence so that he can experience what we as human beings go through so that he can, one, understand what we go through. So when I go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm struggling with this. I'm being tempted. He can come to me and he says, my son, I know what it's like to be tempted. So he understands. But not just that he come part of his creation so that he can experience everything that we experience and so that he can understand what we are going through, but also so that he can have victory over that part of our existence that hinders us from having eternal life, from knowing the Father and knowing the Son. Which is the sinful nature and our sins. So that means, on the one side, he understands what we are going through, and on the other side, he is the remedy or the, he's the cure to our sinful nature and our sins. Which makes him just so attractive because. He doesn't come to condemn us. He doesn't come to us and say, okay, but you did this, this, and this. And therefore you need to be punished. But what we saw is that He came, comes to us and He understands and He gives us a way out. Which means that His heart is not for us to be punished. His heart is not for us to be judged. His heart is not for us to be ashamed of the people we are. His heart is not for us to be condemned. But His heart is for us to know the Father and to know the Son and to have eternal life. So then, Jesus, at the word as the Word of God, and we're going to see this from the piece of Scripture that I'm just going to read after this, leads us to the throne of grace. So Jesus, as the Word of God, leads us to the throne of grace. But before I I read the next piece of Scripture, I quickly just want to ask you guys a question. And uh, the question that I want to ask is, how many of you guys have ever thought that if my best friend or the person that I'm married to really knew me, really knew every single thought that goes on in my mind, really knew every single emotion that is going on in my heart, really knew what was the true motives for the way that I do things that they will that they might not like me as much as they like me at the moment who of you have ever experienced that <laughs> i've experienced that quite a lot of times and a lot of times you tell yourself that if the, if the person if they find this out about me then it's tickets for me that's the end of that's the end of the relationship And you guys will see why I'm, I'm asking this question because it's going to be important as we read the next piece of Scripture. So the next piece of Scripture is from Hebrews 4, verse 12 to 16. And I'm going to start off by only reading the first two verses. And it says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And when we read this and it says the word of God, I always had to ask myself, okay, but is it now referring to the Bible or is it referring to Jesus? Or who is the word of God that's being spoken about here? And the one clue that I have regarding where it is being spoken about is in verse 13, when it says that all of us must give an account to Him. So that means it's primarily speaking about Jesus, And only in the secondary speaking about the Bible, which is the testimony of Jesus, the Word of God. But it's primarily speaking about Jesus. So that means then that the Word of God, which is alive and active, is Jesus, which is alive and active. And (laughs) praise the Lord, Jesus is alive, because otherwise I'm wasting my time. But He's alive and He's active in our lives. And when it comes into our lives, it's the manner which it comes into our lives is in the same way when a sword is being driven into someone during battle. It pierces into us. So it doesn't come into our lives in such a manner that we, that we, almost, that we can maybe miss it. Because if you're pierced by a sword, you will know that you know that you know you are being pierced by a sword. So it's an experience that you cannot not experience. You do not have to concentrate very hard to experience what is happening to you. (laughs) So it's a very overwhelming and a very powerful experience when He comes into our lives. But when He does come into our lives and He pierces us, He pierces us in so much so that He brings the vision between soul and spirit. He brings the vision between that which is in us, which is from God, and that which is from man. That which is the life of God and that which is the life of man or the sinful nature. So he comes and he brings the vision between that. And then he comes and he, and he, as he brings the vision between soul and spirit, he also comes and he discerns the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So the question that I just asked now, that what's going on in our hearts and in our minds. We can hide it from those ones that are the closest to us, which, are, which is our loved ones. They do not necessarily see everything that's going on in here and that's going on in here that's going on in our lives. But when Jesus comes into our lives, he shows us who we really are. He shows us and he knows what is going on in our lives, which is a very, very humbling thought. And then it says in verse 13 that and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And when I read scripture it it immediately makes me think of Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden. After they ate the fruit and they realized they became naked or they were naked. What did they do? They went and they hid away when they heard God was coming and moving into the the garden. And that is exactly what we, is almost part of our human nature. When Jesus comes into our lives and he starts exposing us for who we really are, we want to hide away from him because we are afraid of what he's going to do to us. We are ashamed of the people that we are. And we do not want to come to him. Because we are afraid of what he might do to us. But as in the Garden of Eden, they clothed themselves with fig leaves. Now, I don't know how long fig, leaf, fig leaves last, but I can't, <laughs> I can't think that they wore that fig leaves for too long before it started crumbling away. And so the very things that they wanted to clothe themselves with wasn't sufficient to clothe themselves. And in the same way that when we are exposed for who we are, when we see ourselves who we really are, we sometimes have the inclination where we want to start covering ourselves up with things of this world and things of our own making. But it's just like the fig leaves and it will not last and eventually it will start crumbling. And eventually we will be again at that place where we are standing naked before God and being exposed. But in the Garden of Eden, God came to them saw their nakedness and he clothed them with clothes that was made to last. So he gave them something that will not fade away or not start crumbling. And in that, it shows us the intention of God that he, even though he had full right to judge and condemn Adam and Eve, he came to them wanting to be in relationship with them. And even though they hid away, he sought them out he was asking them, where are you? He was seeking them out why they didn't want to do anything to do with him. And he came to them and he, and he clothed them. And it says a little bit later that he put them out of the garden of Eden, not because he wanted to punish them, but because he wanted to stop them from eating from the tree of life so that it wouldn't live in their sins forever. So the mere fact that he even put them out of the garden wasn't to punish them, it was to protect them. And that is so important for us to know that the God that sees us for who we really are isn't in the business of wanting to punish us and wanting to judge us and wanting to condemn us. Otherwise, He wouldn't have become flesh. Otherwise, He wouldn't have become part of His creation to understand His creation and to give a cure to His creation so that they can know Him. So that means that when we are standing naked and exposed before Him, we do not have to be afraid. We do not have to be ashamed. But we can know that, yes, He will come into our life and He will tolerate sin. He will not tolerate sin. He will expose us. But He will also give us a cure. So He doesn't belittle sin. But He he also doesn't cast us out and rejects us. So there is a place where we need to see ourselves who we really are. But there also is also a place where we can get to know the Father and know the Son and know His character and know what, it is, what He is like. And then it says in verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, so that means when we come to Him, we do not have to be afraid and ashamed, but we can come to Him with confidence, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the word of God leads us to the throne of grace. He became flesh so that he can experience what we, are go, what we go through, so that he can understand what we are going through so that we can receive a cure to our sins and our sinful nature, so that we can be in relationship with the Father once again, that we can know the Father, know the Son, and we can be in relationship with Him. And that as we go through life, that we can know that we can with confidence come to Him so that we can find mercy and grace and help in our times of need. And all of us, many times in the past, has already been in the, at a place where we are weak. And until the day that we die, we will still remain at a place where we are weak. But we have this as a sheer foundation to our souls that we have a God who isn't angry towards his creation, but who gave himself so that his creation can be in relationship with him and know him. So as I start to draw to a close, I want to create for us just a, a moment where we can respond. So I want for us as a church, for those of us who are here in the building, and for those who are online. I want for us to be at a place where we just allow the Word of God to come into our lives and to come and expose us for who we really are. It's a place of vulnerability. It's it's extremely vulnerable to to make yourself to be seen for who you really are. But at the same moment... I want us to invite Jesus into what we are experiencing at this moment so that he can come and sympathize with our weaknesses, so that he can come and breathe his grace into the places where we need his grace and we need his mercy and we need his help. So, whether you are in church here tonight or watching at home, I want for us to turn two-two to one another. Not three, not four, two-two. And what I want for us to do is that I want for us to pray for one another. That we as a church can minister to the church. We as members of the body can minister to the other members of the body. And there's two primary things I want for us to do while we are just being in this place of responding. The one is that I want say for instance I'm going to be praying with Marielle. I'm just going to go to Marielle. I'm going to ask Marielle. Marielle can I pray for the Holy Spirit to touch you? And she's going to respond. She's going to say yes or no. And if she says yes I'm just going to pray for her and ask Holy Spirit just come and touch her. Come and reveal yourself to her. Come and make your presence known to her. And then we're going to just give a moment to the Holy Spirit to actually come and speak to us. And I know that He will come and speak to us. I know that He will come and touch us. So Lord, I just want to I just want to thank for our thank you for uh, how amazing you are and that really 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 have a testimony of a God that is inhabiting eternity a God that is the same yesterday today and tomorrow a God that will never change and thank you that that you don't pass over what is wrong with us you don't belittle what is wrong with us but you but you come and you call sin sin but you also come and you give us a cure so that we do not have to remain where we are. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that as we as a church are not just inviting you to come and minister to us, to come and minister in our hearts and in our minds and in our beings, that you'll just come with your comfort, that you'll come with your wisdom, that you'll come with your life, And just come and minister to us and come and work a deep work within us. And thank you that we can come to you with confidence to the throne of grace. Knowing that you will not reject us, but knowing that you will give us help in a time of need. So thank you that we can be confident, Holy Spirit, that you are going to work and that you are going to speak and that you are going to come into our lives. And you are going to make us more like Jesus.